It's Thursday, December 27th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 504 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 52 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. And this is Julia. All right, so first time in the new now fully operational battle studio so we'll see how this goes it's gonna might be a little bit of audio adjustment and whatnot but we are at least now fully set up all four mics in the proper room i think i'm gonna have to add some decorations to break up a little bit of echo but that's all right we'll get to that we got something that we just started doing and i have not yet decided where i am going to put these recordings we started a little side series where Chad is interviewing the people that are involved in the actual play, asking about different aspects of the game. Like, if it's a player, where did they come up with the character idea? How do they play the character? You know, what's going on with where they want to see the character go? Or how they came up with the background or any of that stuff. In my case, it's going to be about stuff with both the NPCs and also the execution of the game itself. I'm kind of going for a, a James Lipton actor studio sort of thing about the talking about the person's character. You know, where did they come from? Why did you do this? What do you think about this? What does your character think about this? And then kind of segue through it into how they themselves come up with characters and characterizations in general and what their process is. And he described that to everyone, and my first reaction was, who's James Lipton and what's Actor Studio? And the entire room was like, you really need to watch Actor Studio because it's very good. James Lipton is amazing. I still had never heard the name before. Yeah, I was thinking the soup. (laughs) (laughs) So the thing I haven't decided is where I'm going to put these, because they're kind of like bonus episodes to the AP. Mm -hmm. So is this content that goes on the Fear the Boot feed? But, of course, it only makes sense if you listen to the actual play. But if I put it on the actual play, people are kind of expecting, you know, actual play. Don't we have an entire tastemakers thing on our patreon we do and that that's the third option is i may just put this on patreon i, I don't know is well, we could ask the tastemakers what they want yes make we, the taste okay we will allow them to decide the fate of these shows because i honestly have no idea what i'm doing with them so <laughs> we'll throw them away them. i'll just delete them oh, <laughs> done it's, i mean it's cathartic you, for Chad. to report them but we don't actually want them <laughs> i'm not gonna listen to them and yeah. i was already there it's so like, let's face it you just tell him you put it on the feed and as far as he knows it's, on, it's the feed, on the feed right yeah. it's like kids art chad makes it and i tell him it's great <laughs> and this is gonna go right on the fridge mm-hmm. and it does until he gets distracted by something else that's and, right no, and then you, and then you use it as toilet paper yeah you do a rotation. Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't use this toilet paper. I care about my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Not your kid's <laughs> drawing. Eliza's got a lot of those. Well, and it's going to get worse. She's now gonna... we know what you do with her drawings, though. <laughs> she's going to start getting a better memory, and then you're going to start yeah, the, getting yeah. the macaroni art. Or Ooh, that would really feel horrible on your ass. Yeah. We have Cheerio art right now. Oh. Yeah. All right. So topic for today. This is something that I realized in the middle of one of the Skies of Glass games. And it's not related to the AP. So if you're tired of hearing us talk about the AP. Tough. Well. I am. But. (laughs) Excellent. We have always gotten content based on the games we're playing. The AP is one of the games that we're playing. And it's a common game. So we will be talking about it a lot. Because that's our gaming. Well, but in this case, while the thought happened to occur to me while I was playing the AP... It wasn't really particularly about the AP, but what I noticed is that the longer I game, there is a convergence. Like overall, or are you talking in a campaign? No, I mean overall. The longer I've gamed in my life, yes, that there is a convergence between my PCs and my NPCs. All right, let me explain what I mean by that. I have long been a believer in what we call the golden box. And what the golden box is, is it's a metaphor for describing the fact that a player only has one button they can push in the world, which is their player character. The game master has the setting, the plot, thousands, millions, billions of NPCs. You know, I mean, they control everything else in the world. They control what the weather is, what time of day it is, what kind of monsters show up or don't show up. All this stuff, 
the only thing a player controls is one character. And so I've always believed in this concept of this golden box that basically says, yes, my player character is interacting with the world, and that does mean, therefore, he's going to affect the world and the world's going to affect him. But I don't like the GM reaching across that golden box and doing things, uh, particularly against my will, to twist the knife or to force me into situations. Like, dude, come on. You know, you've got a whole world. Let me have this one thing. And I will also admit that while I don't think the line between player and character is as thin with me as it is with some other people we've played with, like Pat as an example, my line isn't all that thick either. My characters tend to heavily reflect some part of me and what occurs to them or how they interact with other characters and such. I do tend to build an emotional reaction to that. You know, if somebody's tearing into my character, especially if it's another player, it's not an NPC, then it starts to feel to me like I'm getting into it with that person. Has that changed any over time? Because well, I, when I started gaming, it was a fairly thin line. And the more I game, the more separation there is. I play characters drastically different from me now than I did in the beginning. Well, that's something I started to notice. And this is kind of what I want to talk about. So let me throw out one more talking point here and i think that will then set the basis of everything i need to start pushing pieces around the field there's this idea of the gm pc all right and this is a derogatory term it's short for game master player character and this is when the game master instead of throwing out a traditional non-player character instead of throwing out someone who's just you know they're part of the setting they're part of world building this is the game masters into the world as if they were a player And this character oftentimes gets very preferential treatment. They get to do all the cool stuff. They never fail. They're always in the spotlight. They have the answer to every riddle, the baddest, most powerful, whatever. It's an annoying, obnoxious thing that a lot of particularly starting game masters do where they throw out this GMPC who's an NPC technically. But this is an NPC that they play so close to the heart that it might as well be their player character in a game they are running. An NPC with the power of a GM. Yeah, precisely. It's something like that. It's even worse than a lone wolf. It's like playing a (laughs) role-playing game by yourself. Okay, this is not a good character. This is a mental illness. But people do it, all right? So what I noticed is as I have gotten older and gotten better and better and better about getting away from the GM PC, all right? So my NPCs more and more are just tools of the game they're part of the world they're there to help me tell a good story they need to have compelling personalities neat things going on but ultimately they are just disposable tools in telling the story about the player characters and as time goes on i invest in these i care about them but i have less and less concern about what happens to them i don't have npcs that are untouchable Because this guy's too important to me. You know, if the big bad walks up to you in the first game, because I'm dumb enough to put him in front of you, and you put a pistol to his head and spray the wall with his brains. Gross. That wasn't necessarily graphic. (laughs) But he's gone, right? He's dead. It's over. I'm done. Probably. Well, (laughs) you know, it's a role-playing game. You can do anything. He's always got... Sure. But what I'm going to do is he's got a second in command. Mm. And that's who's going to take over. Or something. Or... There's going to be some other faction, some other access to this power that's going to rise up. And I'm going to work around that. And that faction or that person is now going to become more interesting than the original one, because otherwise you're just fighting a second stringer. Yeah. And heroes are only as good as the villains they fight. And so I I realized as I was sitting there in the middle of the Skies of Glass game, the headspace I was in as I was running my NPCs. I suddenly realized I am reaching to the exact same spot in my mind that I'm reaching on Sundays in the game that I play with Julia and others to play my player character. Because one of the things we talked about on the show, and Julia, you've seen this, Mm -hmm. is I'm trying to use my character to help the game master, Mary, and to help the other players sort of stay engaged. Like Brad in particular, he kind of wanders off a bit. And so I'm constantly there agitating him, like trying to pair him up with people. Or Mary will throw out an NPC, and I'll 
see that this NPC is kind of neat and be like, you know, I'm not going to push the matter because I don't want to take control of the game, but I'm going to latch on to this NPC in a way that shows Mary there's an interest there and gives her something new to develop. So I'm, I'm making choices that are based not purely on the personality of my character. And I think there's an argument to be made for doing that. But I am choosing, in my case, to temper that with an awareness of what is best for the game. And at times, I am making choices that are suboptimal or choices that are even, at times, total deviations from what the player character would do in the service of the game as a whole. And I found that as a side effect of that, because they're in the service of the game as a whole, it's not to say I don't care what happens to them or even that I care about them as little as I do an NPC, but it's getting closer. They're becoming less and less different animals. Like if you asked me years back, I would have told you that to me, a PC and an NPC are played completely differently. The part of my brain that's engaged when I'm playing a PC versus an NPC, you know, these would be radically different. But that's not as much the case anymore. I'm curious what you guys think. Have you noticed this in your own gaming? Have you seen somebody else doing it? Do you think it's a good thing, bad thing? You know, am I selling short my player character by treating them too much like a cog in the game and not enough my own thing? That was one of the first things I worried about when you are describing it is as a GM... When I'm GMing, I want all of the characters to be enjoying the game, to be engaged. And my first thought, and something I would worry about is, okay, is this person sacrificing what they could be doing with their character to try to assist me? me? Yeah. You know, do they think I can't, I can't do it myself? Right. Do I, do they think I need this assistance? But also there is that of, I'm a big believer in getting immersed in the character and what the character would do. And I will admit, I do things occasionally, frequently in Chad's mm-hmm. game, like the big scary undead thing is upstairs. Should my character be really afraid of this thing? Probably. But I'm going to go knock on the door and have the conversation. Right. Because it's an interesting character, and I know that's where the plot is. So I do some of that as well. And I'm always willing to have my character die to help push a story forward. But that's kind of my initial thoughts on it. I'm bouncing mm-hmm. around between it. I like doing that, helping out where you can, making things easier for the GM, because I like when players do that for me. But I also like immersion, and I'd be afraid yeah. of losing the immersion. If if you get to that point where your character is, you think of the character as just a tool for the overall story, then I don't think you're getting as much out of the character as a I would want my player to get out of their character. Yeah, I don't think what you're doing is a bad thing, but I think for the sake of content for this show i'm gonna play the devil's advocate so so again i i, I want to say I, I actually appreciate that sort of stuff i do it i, I think it's great but well, it gives the it gives the gm something to ha- hang on to and yeah. play around with and but the sort of counterpoint that i see to it though is that as a gm you're trying to help me you're a player you're in my mm-hmm. game you're trying to help me through ic actions like you said here's an npc you're going to talk to him because you're kind of going to put some of your spotlight on that NPC to kind of illuminate the NPC for the other players, that sort of thing. And what if you interpreted the situation wrong? What if what if I made a mistake? I made the, the NPC a little too interesting. You latched onto it. You're illuminating this light on it. But it was supposed to be a flavor NPC that foreshadowed something in the future that was just going to be there and then gone. And then, just a bookstore. Yeah, yeah. Well, not even just a bookstore, but it's like that NPC is Chekhov's gun. It's there. You see him. He's the guy with the strange hat. And then two games down the road, there was a murderer. Who was the murderer? I don't know. I just saw a guy in a strange hat. <gasps> you know, sort of thing. And what you've done is, unbeknownst to you, is suddenly Chekhov's gun. Hey, guys, it's right there. It's right. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. This crazy hat. And it, I could see how... As a game master, I'd be like, ignore the man in the hat. Well, yeah. Well, into his defense, I'm sorry. No, into his defense, the two NPCs that I think he's talking about are he kind of (laughs) made. Well, he kind of made happen. They were there, but I mean, it wasn't. I don't think that that was the intention. We were just at a wedding, and I I agree with you though. But I Mm -hmm. think if it's if it's an NPC that like 
I feel is more interactive with the group, mm-hmm. then I think you probably shouldn't do that because it could be something where they're just yeah. a small plot well, point. Something I was always nervous about that Chad does all the time is the naming the NPC and things like that. I did that for the first time on Sunday. I don't think Name? I've ever done that in a game. You've as never a, named an NPC? As a player came in, oh. there's a librarian there. Hey, Isabel. Yep. Oh, like you named him. So as a player, him. not as the GM. Yeah, right. Gotcha. I had a name for that NPC. And, and now it's gone. <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, yeah. Name. it's like, whoop. And now I write that. What did you say? Isabel? Okay. Yeah, I wish I would hook everyone up the table with electrodes <laughs> and just administer a shock every time someone asks me the name of an of a. Well, okay. <laughs> so take that concept, though. Right. Like, you as a game master don't have a name for the NPC. This uh-huh. is this is Sergeant because you need a sergeant who's an asshole to stand there and be an asshole. And so that scene works, and then the players move on, and Sergeant Asshole vaporizes into dust, never to return again. Except I'm taking advice from this show, and I'm like, well, hey, Sergeant Asshole, what's your name? Hey, guys, look at Sergeant Asshole. Isn't he really interesting? What's he doing here? And like, I'm playing He's my him best friend now. Because I screwed up, because I misinterpreted the situation. Which is not a terrible thing. Well, couldn't because, the GM just talk to you about it? Well, yeah. So from the Game Master perspective, though, I don't think it's like a crisis. It, it, because even without that... We all know that the best NPCs we've ever created, we didn't actually create. Right. Well, it, we always have to come up with NPCs on the fly and flesh mm. them out. We never know when a player is going to become more interested in an NPC or something. And, and I think, like I said, again... I don't want to sound like I'm on your idea because I love your idea. I do your idea. Yeah. I'm just providing the counterpoint. Well, to I know. I'll, I'll expound on your counterpoint. Mm-hmm. I think there's twofold issues there. One of them is the one that you guys have been describing, which is I could be playing up or putting spotlight on or whatever, something that really isn't important or the game master is not interested in that. I could actually in the process of trying to be a cog in the machine, because of the fact that I don't know what the machine is, right? I'm not the machine. I'm not the person who's running the game. I don't know what they've planned, what they need. I might be screwing things up by shifting things around in a way they ought not be shifted around. The other thing is I think there is also a point of not being a codependent player, where I walk in and my primary goal as a player is not to play my character to play my character well. Mm-hmm. It is to assist the GM. Right. <laughs> and that is both insulting to the GM and in many ways, I think, robbing both myself and all the other players there of the richness that I could be bringing to my yeah. character. Because when I play a role play, like, like we'll take the SOG game, for example. Everybody at the table has these really, really interesting, well-thought-out, well-made Lots of background, very deep personality characters. And if you listen to the AP, which you should be, if but if you listen to the AP, it is one of those games where there is a lot of RP. I mean, yeah, Dan has NPCs and we interact with them, and there's combats mm-hmm. and stuff, but there are also big stretches where my character is talking to Wayne's character. And then somebody is like, everybody's listening and really into it, and then somebody interjects in, and now they're, can, can, is my character there? Can I get, because I, I want to get out in the conversation. And then their character gets in the conversation. It's great. That only works if you are putting a lot of your mental resources into your character. Yeah. Now, if you're a divided house where you've got, you know, an acceptable amount of mental resources growing into your character, but also quite a lot of mental resources into being there for the GM then it's harder for me to role-play with you because depth of character, interesting characters, interesting player acting of their characters makes this this sort of panorama of an interesting field that my character can walk into. And my character can find things to interact with, and that creates the role-play. Yeah, for example, you describe doing things out of character occasionally to help push the story across. Mm-hmm. Taking the GM out of the the equation there as another player, I'm trying to get to know the other characters. Mm-hmm. How are they going to react in certain situations? You do that with the people that you meet every day. You get to know them. You kind of expect, here's what they're going to do. When a person does something completely out of character, you wonder about it. Why did they yeah. do that? What brought them to that decision? Is something wrong with them today? Is there anything I can help them with? And I think the same thing can happen with a character. 
if your character does something out of character, doesn't make sense for that character, but it's what's really good for the story, I might be, as another player, wondering, okay, what's wrong with this character? What did I miss? Yeah. And we did a whole episode a few episodes back about how a player not acting in character Mm -hmm. totally throws the GM mojo off because he doesn't Mm -hmm. know how to as we said, manipulate, which is a terrible word, but manipulate the situation and the, the, the player. I mean, like everything, this is all levels and extremes. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think somebody doing what you've described is a really great thing. And as a GM, I love having it at the table. Well, it gives you but, a little less work to do. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, it's, uh, but it's we're describing the extreme side. Yeah, the extreme. Because in all honesty, I pl- I'm playing in the game that I think he's referring to, like I said, and at least the one you're currently talking about. Yeah. And I think your character's fully fleshed yeah, out yeah. as well. Like, it's not like your character's being neglected. Yeah, and somebody with anxiety, the first thing you go to is, how could this all go incredibly wrong? So, and yeah. that's <laughs> what I'm doing is the devil's advocate. Here's how it could right. go incredibly wrong if you cross the line doing it. So, if you go too far. And th- that's my fear, too, is that I think it's it's very easy to talk about the negatives of this because that that's topic, that's content right. and such, and it's very easy to go to. And I do not want to sound like like I'm just shitting on this idea. So let's talk for a moment about what are some strategies that a player can do to help their GM in character without sacrificing their own fun and their own depth of character. One thing I would point to is if you as a player have picked up, okay, the GM wants us to deal with this NPC. The GM wants us to go to Chicago. Mm -hmm. The GM wants us to whatever. Have that thought of, why would my character choose to do this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And make sure that's portrayed when you do it. Don't just go talk to the NPC. Make sure you explain why the character is talking to that NPC. Why the character is suggesting to go to Chicago. So it's consistent for the other players, but also for you. Sometimes that's a good thought exercise of, okay, my character is going to do this. Why is my character going to do this? Yeah, I think a lot of people take characters as, instead of saying, okay, we need to do this for the game and the story, and then let's work backwards, why would my character do this? A lot of people, I think, just start from the character of, I am doing things, and then we've arrived at a place. Yeah. And that's fine, but I think that this sort of advanced player helping technique of helping the GM, you really need to learn this if you don't do it of, okay, we, the group, the GM and myself need to be over here. Now let's work backwards. Why would my character do that? Like a strategy I found that helps is actually one that also comes from GMing as a GM. You want to throw out things and see what the players latch onto. And you want to adapt to what the players latch on to. In fact, we have an NPC we're going to talk about in a little bit here that I'm kind of curious in chats mm-hmm. that he thinks he has a theory on why people latched on to it the way. Oh, I know why people. Well, I guess more than a theory, you're in the game. Yeah. But the point being, though, that we throw out things as a GM and see what the players latch on to. We've talked about evil and giving information. We had an episode where we talked about, it wasn't our phrase, but somebody else coined the three clue rule. That if you want them to have a piece of information, you make sure you've planned at least three ways for them to find it in case they miss the first one or two. And I've found this kind of works as a player as well, where you just do it in reverse and read the GM. So you interact with their world, you interact with their NPCs, you throw out all these different hooks and see which one the GM seems to be interested in. All right, let me give an example. In the D&D game that we've been referencing, the one I'm playing with Julia, or I'm playing my beautiful, beautiful (laughs) Waymick... And I ride him in battle. <laughs> she does. There's actually stats for that. And I have a sufficient strength to hold her. <laughs> we, yes. It sounds, by which you mean that's wonderful. It's uh, a, it's a dragonborn on a Waymick. Like yeah. that's like mystical, beautiful picture on your wall. I know this. Is I've like, seen enough Waymick pictures. <laughs> <laughs> you can find this all over deviant heart, except not G rated, but we do it in the G rated form. Folks up for killing people. So I guess it's not G rated, but anyway, <laughs> no sexual content. Yeah. Just violence. So we went into a town where one of the other characters was, he's from a noble house and he has a brother who's about to get married. So it's this big to do, you know, huge noble wedding, all this pomp and craziness and whatever. And there's all these people in there because since, you know, being in the middle ages, people travel a long way for a wedding. So it's not an afternoon. 
it's an ongoing event over many days. And we were there while it was still being prepared. So there's all these cooks and tailors and whatever else that are in there getting everything ready. And at one point, because I was just kind of screwing around, I decided, well, I'm going to go get my Waymix shoes. All right. Now, that, bear with me because there, there's a point to this that's deeper than Waymix shoes. When I went and got the shoes, Mary played the NPC and she played it well. And the NPC. She's like 13 or something. No, no, no. That That's, that's coming. Oh, yeah, this yeah, this yeah, is yeah. an adult male. Okay. And this guy was like, you know, oh, this is going to be a neat project because I always am pretty much making the same or really similar things. This is an interesting thing to do. And I took the necessary amount of money off my character sheet and whatever. But there wasn't a whole lot getting played out there, right? It was she was role playing it, but it was still a shop level exchange money for product. Nothing else seemed to be going on there. Right. So here I am the same way as a GM. I would read a player. As a player, I'm reading the GM. Mm-hmm. Now, same character, same situation. All right, so we're still at this wedding prep. I decide to go and get some clothing made or whatever. and To get your hair done. Get my fur brushed out <laughs> and all this stuff. <laughs> and somewhere along the way, I think it was, I don't remember what her role is. Was she an assistant to the stable yeah. guy or something like that? But it's, it's this guy's daughter, not the tailor, somebody else. Or not Taylor, excuse me, as a cobbler. Not the cobbler, but, or his daughter, or somebody else's daughter. But she's some peasant-level girl. Of course, she just thinks this is the bee's knees, because there's this gigantic walking, talking, stuffed animal that's playing with her and all this stuff. And I could see that Mary was playing up this character a little more. And she was describing this character in greater detail. She was putting a lot more energy into the way this NPC expressed herself. And so... I decided, okay, I'm going to see if I can do something more with this. And so I started things like every time we go back to something related to this wedding, like one of the pre-wedding festivities, like the hunt and such, she's living in squalor. So I bought her a nice dress that she was never going to afford on her own. I took her as my plus one out <laughs> on the hunt. I, I took her as my guest into the wedding feast. I just kept doing things with this girl and Mary at least seemed to enjoy developing this girl and playing this girl. It finally got to the point that I threw out a almost baitless hook that I threw out this thing where during the hunt, I took down, I think it was an antelope. When I say take down, I don't mean kill. I'm playing a druid. Waymarks are huge and I have a ridiculous strength stat. I physically just tackled it and I let the girl make the decision what are we going to do with it? And I kind of set this up as I'm, I'm testing this girl, right? I'm trying to see how does she view nature? Is, is this a casual kill? Is this we're going to do it because it's necessary for the meat or the balance of nature? Is she going to let this thing live? And if so, why? She, the little girl decided to let it live. I then asked her to talk to it. And this is where I threw out what I'll call a baitless hook because this was just wide open. Hook if Mary wants to bite it. But I was not loading it with anything. I just looked at Mary and said, does it strike me that she has a connection with this animal that goes beyond the panic of an antelope and this little girl? And Mary thought about it and says, yeah, you kind of think there's something there. And I said, okay. So at this point, I have now read the GM and the character now is my understudy. What in prior editions would have been a level zero character or something like that or, or a retainer if you want to go back to second edition, Druid under me. And she now travels with the party. It's a little 10 or 12 year old girl. But I got that from reading the GM, mm-hmm. right? I didn't dictate to her, well, this is how it's going to be. I didn't say, you know what? Screw it. Uh, I rolled a 23 on charisma. I'm taking her as an understudy. Yeah. I paid <laughs> my five gold for this orphan. <laughs> yeah. She's <laughs> mine now. Yeah. Pick up that. I pack, paid her dowry. Right. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to marry her off first. Yeah, I was trying. Well, I was trying to get Brad's character married, which we've talked about a couple times, and that's still yeah. an ongoing project. I'm still working on that. I just set figure out what his type is of age. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, that's you know, I mean, okay, ten might be that's a little bit too much. Perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all about perspective. Yeah. Maybe he's in a FIBA file. We haven't gotten that far yet. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing though. Is, mm-hmm. is I'm trying to read the GM the same way that I as a GM would read a player. Yeah. And to me, that seems like thus far, I'm still experimenting with Mm -hmm. this, but it seems like a good way of not either 
grabbing the spotlight from her and choosing what's in the spotlight or being a codependent player who's trying to run the game because somehow I don't think the GM can do it without my help. I can just imagine the GM thinking, wow, he's really interested in this character. I'm going to start developing it more. And her thinking of this, she's doing the exact same thing that he's doing. And a character that originally neither of them had plans for suddenly becomes an understudy because they're both doing the same thing to each other. Sounds like a great situation to me. Now i got to ask Mary. But, yeah, (laughs) I actually am now curious what her take on this is. Because either way, you've got now a fully developed, interesting NPC that the party likes. Yeah, it's a just, win. It, how it was birthed, nobody cares. Yeah, I do see a possible problem that could have happened with that. I mean, obviously it didn't. Obviously, everyone's having fun as as mm-hmm. great, and there, there's this great NPC coming out. But I think that if you're planning on doing something like that, maybe not Weemix and little girls and and all druids and all that stuff. But if you're looking at at trying to bait these hooks, you know, like a GM, you throw these hooks out, you throw these, these opportunities and that sort of thing. And then you start running those opportunities. Like you're a GM, you have to be careful not to overwhelm the game to where you are suddenly taking over the game, so to speak, in this little corner of the world. You you're making a little corner of the world. You're not making an entire country of the world. You don't want to take spotlight away from the other players. You don't want to do things that exclude the other players. You also don't want to... Yeah, you don't want to have your own little game between Right, the yeah. You, the, the last thing, gotcha. as cool as it would be, if the other players are sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, I know it, was, it wasn't like that because you're describing like things that happened over the course of many games sure. and little bits and vignettes and little things like that. Perfect. Perfect. That's how you do it. But I could see someone doing a similar situation incorrectly and basically taking two hours to do oh, yeah. this sort of dance with the GM while the other players are like, yes. Uh, and hello? That, that's another potential pitfall <laughs> yeah. is you could successfully help the GM, but do so at the expense of the other players where you are giving the GM so much to work with. And maybe they like it. I don't know. Maybe they well, don't. But in the process, especially if it's NPC-focused, you and the GM are having a great game. You're right. And everyone else is sitting there. Well, see, and I, if I were to do that, not as a GM, if I were to do this as a player, I would really have to watch myself. Because I could see myself doing that. I'm an improv GM. I'm a very loud person. I'm a very forceful person. No. No. <laughs> I'm I'm meek and tiny, I know. And I could see myself just really selling the situation and selling what I'm trying to do and really pushing it and going it. And my wheels start turning in my head and I keep going and going and going. But I get this sort of tunnel vision vision of Mm -hmm. making this thing work. And then I look at my watch and it's like, oh... It's now two hours later, and... Everyone else is on their phone. Yeah, everyone's on their phone, and I just screwed up a game, and I'm not even the game master. So this reminds me of something from the Blades in the Dark game. Mm -hmm. So in that game, the party ended up getting a gang that worked for them. Mm -hmm. It was basically a violent thug gang that ended up... Dawn wrote them all up, created who the characters were put all of the background and history in them, they became her resource. Mm-hmm. Mechanically, they were a party resource. Right. But how it actually played out in game, they were hers to command. Mm-hmm. And what things that they did, choices they made, fell on her. And I know in that game, that's something Pat got frustrated with. Mm-hmm. Because they're supposed to be a party resource. But now they're... She's carved out this little world of hers in the corner. And as a GM, my counter to that is Pat didn't do anything to carve out his <laughs> right. own little world. He wanted his stuff to be delivered on a rhinestone-encrusted yep. cart. Well, so, yeah, and I think that, <laughs> tough shit. There's a yeah. counter-counterpoint yeah. of if one player and the GM are having a great game, because the one player is doing something right and the yep. other players are doing nothing they're not biting at anything they're mm-hmm. not engaging anything they're not creating anything that is tough on them yeah, yeah. and, and tough, 
in fairness, we look around the table. I did the same thing. Yeah. I had yeah, all of had my own NPCs that I created. Best little whorehouse in Dust Bowl. Yep. And I had all of those NPCs create all of those history. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a resource. The ho- the whorehouse, was, yep. the brothel was a resource. I had no issue. But that is yeah. something I could see. If it's something mechanical, mm-hmm. where this is a gang that is supposed to be a party resource, but it's now a person resource, I could see that becoming a problem. Right. Maybe this isn't the best example, because as you put it, Everyone had that opportunity yeah. to do that. That was something projects, Pat as a player did. Projects were encouraged, and they were encouraged because, A, it added to the world, and you got things out of them, like gangs and brothels and equipment and labs and gear and opportunities. And there were a couple players who they'd never... Like, I tried to force projects on them, and then they would whine that they never got anything. Well, yeah, mother. You didn't do anything. <laughs> well, you- in the the other NPC though, she actually is like a party resource. I would consider because we just don't. She fills some holes. Yeah, <laughs> some well, very apparent holes in our party. Yeah, the, the other NPC is a bard because we have no knowledge. We have two arcane casters any. that don't have knowledge arcana, <laughs> and this game is all about. Probably arcana. knowledge arcana is the top rolled skill in the yeah, game. It's like that, wow. and like knowledge nature, and, which is what I have. So yeah, well, because we actually took our class skills. <laughs> God forbid the druid actually knows nature well, and survival, but the wizards don't know. Sh- so I mean, the it's, the story behind that though is that they figured out that they they assumed each were going to take it. And uh, nobody did, and they're like, "Nah, nah, we're just not going to take it because it's funny." So I mean, they're enjoying the fact that. <laughs> their uh, wizards are see i definitely see like sorcerers not having it because right, they just naturally do it and they don't want to book you know book yeah. learn yeah but a wizard not having it well okay they are yeah, technically but, yeah. it's, it's a sorcerer and a, a what is the other one a sorcerer and a warlock or something i i can't remember i can't remember either. yeah it's i a, definitely see a sorcerer not taking but, it because well that can know. very much be within character well, for a sorcerer so, not to have well, it well I would still think, I mean, if you can do magic, you would still want to know something about it. Well, here's the thing. Kind of combining the Blades in the Dark projects and, and the sailors yeah. and all the internal resources and your Druid Apprentice. Well, let's take the Druid Apprentice. Yo, she's filling a role. A no, player, not, not that one, a different one. Oh, well, the Bard. Whatever. I'm just making things okay. up. Okay, fine. So, she is filling a role. She's filling, she's a, filling role. a role. So, Julia, Julia's character goes to her, the, the resource, and says, hey, I need X resource. I press the button. I want to get the resource out until I can do the I thing leave. with the MacGuffin. Yeah. The NPC says no, or or better yet, Dan's character says, oh, no, she can't do that. She's studying. I need her, you know, doing this thing or whatever. Okay. On the surface, that sounds like BS, right? Because it, this is a party resource. Everybody should have access. Mm-hmm. You know, no, it is your character did it. Your character said no. That's a role-playing opportunity. Okay. You have the argument. You have the fight over it, and it's interesting. Where it gets wrong, where where Wayne is coming in, where mm. it's like this is a meta resource, is where Julia, the player, asks, goes to Dan or the GM and says, I want to press the button to get the resource, and Dan or the GM says, no, that's mine. We're not going to role play it. We're not going to role play yeah. it. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing. Well, even if you role play it, it is such a brush off role play, you are saying no to Julia. Yeah. That's wrong. Don't f***ing do that. Well, I mean, don't even do that if it's your own personal resource. Right. Yeah. You're supposed to be working together yeah. as I friends. Mean, I love party <laughs> conflict. I love the conflict. I love the tension. I love the drama in character. Well, yeah, conflict yeah. in character is a part of the game. That's a yes. portion of the story. That's a part of storytelling. The author telling the reader, no. <laughs> no, you're not getting page 60. Yeah, it, that's, that's not more story. That's less that story. That. <laughs> I'm going to write a book where I'm just like, Leave one page, page 60, number. and then on the next page be like, no, no. page 60. Oh, like the book, the book <laughs> no, is three bucks, book. but the middle chapter. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that's a Kickstarter stretch goal. Oh, God. <laughs> there was a comic book. I threw up in my mouth. There was a comic book I read like that, where it starts the story, it gets to nearly a cliffhanger, and then the character says... Yeah, we'll talk about that later. And they go on with a new arc. Wow. It was, oh, it was wow. a Fable spinoff. It was Jack of Fables. Oh, man. Oh, man, no. Dick. I remember being pissed off. Yeah. That's like oh. that's like reading blue balls. Oh. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> All right, so, Chad, I don't even remember how this tied in the original topic, but when we were kicking this around, somehow Fat Tony came up. Fat Tony and, did come up. 
how it came up as we were talking about the other side of the story. You're talking about as a player playing your character yeah. like it were an NPC. Then we started talking about oh, playing NPCs as a, like PC. Yes, yeah, that's right. So that that was, and I mentioned that, and you guys were talking about how it can help in developing an NPC if you think of them, in, at least in the preparatory way, the same way you would a player character, where you think through their background, you think through their what's going on in their head, their depth of motivation, all that kind of stuff. And out of that came a mention that it know, may, Fat Tony it, seems to be fleshed out in that fashion. It makes them seem deeper than just a tool. And I, in watching the Discord conversation about the actual play, noticed that there was an unexpected amount of interest in Fat Tony, mm-hmm. which given all the other things going on, you know, and some some of which are packed so much more with information, with intrigue, you know, in terms of knowing what the real story is behind all the conspiracies and lies and misunderstandings and whatever, Fat Tony doesn't know. <laughs> like, seriously? Get out of here. The guy, He's just a dude. You know, Fat Tony ranks up for me as far as NPCs in Skies of Glass games. My two favorite NPCs are the Muffin Lady. <laughs> who came back in the right the first campaign of uh, yeah, she was the first guys of glass campaign I ever played in Dan has the neighbor that is the muffin lady she's the nice lady that comes over to these nice boys who are trying to create a mercenary corps and she brings them muffins oh that's very sweet when <laughs> in the muffins yeah, no. when the first Fancy. round of the AP came about our characters end up in Cape Dorado and he brings back that NPC. Tony, to me, ranks right up there with her as two of my favorite Skies of Glass NPCs of all time. Because they have nothing to do with it, but they have something to do with it. No. Really? No, that is not yeah. why. Yeah. And like Dan was saying, he does not understand why You know, the, the, there's the attention, the focus, and the, and the like on Fat Tony. I wouldn't say like. I would just say or, the level of interest. Interest. Interesting. Yeah. I'm no. curious your theory, because I have a theory. Because I get too. why people like him, because he's amusing oh, he's crazy, and he's, yeah. he's colorful. Right. And he's, it's, look, we've, if you're not following the AP, I'm just going to give you this little side thing here. What Fat Tony is, is I, we still have not, or at least I have not decided what he actually is. <laughs> but his background is he was a an illicit salesman. Like he was running. Like contraband, contraband scams on the station's dock because we're we were from a space station. And for some reason, he talks like Joe Pesci, right? And I have no idea this why. New this York is. accent. Yeah. We've yeah. thrown out theories of he watched a lot of movies on the station because and- there's no way because it's a space station where this is like the second generation of people who are born and live on yeah, the station. There's no regional there's, diction or anything Yeah, there's like never going to be a New York accent yeah. where everyone's going to have well, a New York Just yeah. like his name is Fat Tony, and we know that he is large, but he can't be that big. He can't be because you're on this isolated station, and there's food rationing. Yeah. He can't be fat. He's, yeah. he's Japanese fat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, my character Gil says, yeah, the whole reason you're in jail is because you're so fat because you ate babies. Oh, my God. Okay, so I I know why people (laughs) like him, because as a GM, everybody can break the ice by acting the fool, by making a funny accent, by being willing to look stupid, because you cannot ask your players to get into the game and to play with their all if you yourself won't get out there and do the same thing, act a little bit silly, look a little bit stupid. And so... This is I, Oz. Everybody mm-hmm. can do Fat Tony. Now, your Fat Tony may not be Fat Tony at all, but everybody's got that in them. For Chris Hussey, it was uh, standing on a chair at Fear the Con and yep. doing a deep, booming voice to imitate an ogre. You know, he was willing to put himself out there. So I know why people like him. Mm-hmm. And the why other, is there the interest? I this, said, the other advantage to that type of character for me, when I do them or when I watch them, they're a release valve. Mm-hmm. You've got all this pressure, pressure, pressure. Here's this nice, lovable character. It releases some of the pressure, but it also is a tool. If that really nice character is suddenly worried and freaked out, then you know something's up. Again, it's the pressure valve. You've turned the pressure up because even they're worried now. Yeah. So I would love to take credit for this concept or idea, but I can't. I I was on one of the many role-playing game subreddits, and uh, I, I saw this today, and it really clicked with me. 
And this, you're an R Fat Tony. <laughs> R Fat man, you can make R Fat Tony. You know, by the time this releases, there could be an R Fat Tony. But what I saw was this guy basically asked a question of, I spend hours making these complex, interesting, historically, you know, whatever, have tons of history, tons of character, NPCs. Very fleshed out. My players don't give two shits about it. Just do, they, they just walk right by them. But if they go someplace and I do an off-the-cuff NPC where I just literally pull them out of my ass, suddenly they're the most popular characters in the game. You know, that my players just love them. Why is this? And the answer, somebody answered him, and the answer is because you're playing with your friends. The deep NPC you made isn't you. The off-the-cuff NPC you made is is you. you. It's a Mm -hmm. part of you, and they're there because they like you. Well, and Dan just permeates fat tone right well obviously dan is not a, is not a crime lord just... contraband runner and you know fake italian but, but still he the, likes the emos the, oh that's oh god but fat tony's humor though yeah i could see dan and fat tony's humor now that you mentioned right it. i would have never said that before you mentioned it would have never even thought mm-hmm. about it yeah but i could see the type of jokes he makes yeah if someone were to run into Dan, they would never think anything Fat Tony, ever. But the two characters are very, very linked. Molly, who's another NPC, is nothing like Dan at all. Now, it's not that we ignore Molly, but Molly is more a functionary within the telling of this. Not the meta, but the, yeah. the telling yeah. of the story. Not necessarily a resource, but it. she's a role-playing interface she is a story interface she makes a situation molly's great hearts on the other hand everybody loves hearts because while hearts has character and depth and and planning your playing of hearts is also really ad lib because hearts reacts to what the players are doing so you have to ad lib a lot of stuff hearts is very popular yeah i wonder okay so if i'm if i extend this out a bit what we're talking about really is npcs that are very minimally filtered from me, mm-hmm. which right. is kind of weird. We're coming full circle here because we were talking about how it's the it, circle. Of yeah. It, well, <laughs> it's kind of interesting because it almost sounds like if we follow this out all the way, and I'm going to need time to chew on this. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying this, but I'm not necessarily supporting it. That what makes a bad PC almost makes a good NPC. Like someone yeah. playing their barely filtered self mm-hmm. is kind of a questionably, you know, it's certainly very tiresome PC, but it sounds like it has the potential to make a much better NPC. You know what it has the potential to do, too? I think that we need to chew on this concept because it really struck me today. I mean, there was a certain wholesomeness to it, and it was very geek RPG neat, and I I liked it. But the actual base concept really did kind of make me think about NPCs and GMing and, and how people react to them. You know, and we could do a part two to this episode where we kind of chew on this topic a bit more. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm chewing in particular on one thing you said, which is about the NPCs being closer to the person. And I was thinking through the moment of Fat Tony, I seem to have gotten the most feedback on, particularly from outside of the players, which is when Junior was trying to convince him to go take a mud bath. <laughs> and I do, I have no idea what it is I said as Fat Tony, but right. Fat Tony's response to that got a lot of positive feedback that people were saying it was really funny and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I don't even remember what he said. Yeah, because it's so off the cuff. Well, it was. and But I was trying to think, what was the sense of humor I went for there? And the sense of humor was very much mine, except mm-hmm. he was being serious. It was my humor, but he was being serious. Right. And what he was doing is a reductionist absurdism. He took a look at what is a mud bath, and he took it down to its simplest levels of, you want me to sit in mud. And then I went to the absurdism of, so what does that also imply? Mm-hmm. Those two things like that, that is absolutely my normal sure. sense of humor. Reductionist mm-hmm. absurdism. Whereas, let's look at Molly again. This is like manipulating NPCs. It's really bad language to use, but it's proper. Molly is a functionary NPC. Yeah. She's great. I love her, and she's awesome and well-fleshed out, but she is a function of role-playing. If Mo- Molly has made jokes and stuff, Molly's been great. We've interacted with her. When Molly makes a joke, it's not 
Dan. It is yep. Dan playing Molly, making a joke that Molly would make. I think of Molly as a NPC that is there to help push the story along. I think of Fat Tony as part of the group. Yeah. You made a comment about how all of the things that we talk about are potentially bad for players to play their character is working really well for these NPCs. You know the difference? The NPCs aren't there all the time. We get it in doses. Yeah. 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 Versus when you're a player character, it's always there. Well, these are good things in doses. And also, yeah. typically- if Fat Tony was with us 24-7, he'd get old real fast. Yeah. Well, and also the players that do that for their player characters don't just tend to do it throughout the course of one game. They tend to play characters that thin every game. Yeah. And that's where I, this would be no different than if I had not a character that just had some coloration of Fat Tony or some similarity to, but if literally that character is simply to appear in every game yeah. and not just as a nod, but he's a major yeah. NPC in every game. We're playing a Robin Hood like game in D&D 5e and he's like, hey, everybody, <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. I got some arrows over here. So, all right, I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. We're going to continue chewing on this. I don't know what our next episode is going to be, but I feel like I should call it I Am Fat Tony or We Are Fat Tony. (laughs) I I don't even know. I (laughs) Fat Tony. (laughs) I I Fat Tony. All right, so thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And because Christmas itself falls on our usual recording day, we may or may not get one out next week. So if we don't, you know, Merry Christmas or whatever holiday it is you celebrate. And we will catch you guys shortly. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.